Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. This is the third week we are looking at this series on the Reformation um, called Clear. The idea is that we have a very clear idea of what God has done and how the Reformation affects our lives. This year marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, which occurred in Germany, but actually impacts us here today. If it were not for the Reformation, churches like Beacon or other independent churches like this would not exist. Uh, We wouldn't be gathered in the way that we are gathered. We wouldn't be gathered from different nations. If we were to ask, if I were to ask, How many of you have a a Bible? Put your hands up if you've got a Bible. Keep your hands up if you've got more than one Bible. Obviously, if you have a phone and you've got an app, you've got, I don't know, 40 Bibles. At the time of the Reformation, individuals like us did not have Bibles. Um, And in fact, when they did have a Bible and they believed it, people were killed for having a Bible. So the Reformation has had a massive impact on the way we celebrate Christianity. Two weeks ago, John opened up our series by talking about sola scripture, which is all about scripture, the Bible alone, as the final authority in matters of faith and conduct. It's the Bible that we look to. And The Reformation did many, many things, but among the things that it did for us is it was a rediscovery of a number of key truths. That was one of them. Today, we look at another one called Christ alone, solus Christos. Christ alone is the means by which we are saved and the object of our worship. Christ alone. On the 31st of October, uh, 1917, when Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, he was not seeking to change the face of Christianity. He was actually making a pastoral comment. He wanted to enter into a debate about Christianity at that time. He wanted to discuss some things. His words did not lead to that healthy pastoral debate, which is what he wanted, it lit the touch paper that ignited the greatest change in the church history. The church had been the way it was for over a thousand years, both in terms of corruption, it boiled over in that moment, and his 95 theses kind of lit the touch paper for change. There were a number of things that came together at that moment that created what some would describe as a perfect storm. There were his words. There was corruption in the church. There was a question around the authority of Scripture. But there was also this, the development of the printing press. Until that moment, uh, people didn't really print documents. but, But at that moment, round about that time, the printing press had been developed which meant that his words and the Bible got printed and translated into different languages. After that moment in 1517, for for four years there was back and forth as Luther was 
excommunicated from the church and they were looking to kill him. And then he ended up in a, in a meeting, in a discussion at a place called the Diet of Worms. It was a debate that they had. Worms is a place in Germany. And these were his most famous words. And they are the same kind of words that you would hear Martin Luther King speak when he talks about, I have a dream, or when Churchill talks about, we will fight them on the beaches. That kind of level of words, this is what Martin Luther said in 1521. Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, he was being asked to recant what he was saying about the gospel, I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. And with those words, he had set in place um, this reformation which changed the history of Christianity in the West. What we're looking at today particularly is the idea that the, the reformation rediscovered that salvation is through Christ alone. Not through anything else. It's Christ alone. And I'm going to read a passage from Hebrews Chapter 7. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Let's pray. Father, we ask that in these moments you would speak to us about the the truth of these words that we both read and sing about, that Jesus alone is the answer uh, to the problems of sin, uh, to the problem of separation from you in the world. And I pray, Father, that what is said today will speak into hearts, that it will bring the right application to our lives. I pray for soft hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that this particular passage tells us that we must understand is that salvation comes from Jesus and what it is is he is able to save completely completely Christ's saving work when Jesus came on earth when he went to the cross uh, when he died and he, he rose again from death his saving act was complete it didn't require anything else to be added to it. It didn't require any additional thing either from him or from us. And in 1521, when Luther made his speech, that was lost to people. People didn't realize that. 
So they were trying to add to what Christ had done in many, many different ways. And one of the ways they were doing it, which I think John talked about, was they used to, they used to buy what they called indulgences, which were ways of, if I bought an indulgence, it meant that I would get freedom from my sin. I would buy myself to freedom. I would buy God's forgiveness. And uh, what they felt was this, that the work of Christ was enough for the forgiveness of my sins, but it was not enough for the consequences of my sin, which was death and punishment. That I could be forgiven, but I could not be set free. I could not be come into relationship with God. I needed more than that. The punishment of sin was still there for me, which is why people were paying these indulgences to help them get over the consequences of sin. Yet this passage and many others tells us that Jesus' work on the cross was complete. So what does that mean for it to be complete? What does it mean for me not to have to do anything? Because although this happened 500 years ago, the truth is even for us today, sometimes we can think to ourselves that we need to do something in addition to what Jesus did in order to be forgiven. Sometimes we think that it's our efforts, our good works, help us find that place. But the Bible tells us, and Jesus tells us, that his work was absolutely sufficient for salvation. Sometimes we just need to ponder, do I actually believe that's true? Do I live in the truth of the reality that Jesus' work is sufficient for me? I don't need to do anything else. We can pray those prayers and we can sing those songs, but do I actually have faith for that in my life every day. Because that is the way of the Christian. That is the truth of the Christian. Jesus' work is sufficient for you. He saved you completely, not just in terms of guilt, of sin, but in terms of the consequences of sin. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is life in Christ Jesus. So this passage tells us that Jesus' saving was complete. It also tells us about our need. You see, many of us can think to ourselves, actually, I, I, I don't need, what do I need saving from? I don't need saving. I, I do my best. I try my best. I do all I can do to make life work. But when you come into the presence of a holy God, when you come to one who is perfect, it doesn't take long before you realize that you're not perfect. That you're not good enough. That you don't have all that you need in order to be able to come into his presence. That you can, you can sometimes come into the presence of God or be aware of the presence of God and you feel guilty and you don't even know why. Why am I feel gu feeling guilty? I don't recall doing anything. We have a need for salvation. And in the Old Testament, there was a need for people to have their sins forgiven. And they used to do that through the sacrifice of an animal. Once a year, the priest would bring a sacrifice on behalf of his own sins and on behalf of the sins of the people in order that they could uh, be in relationship with God. We have a need 
to come to one, the Bible says, one who is holy, blameless and pure. And I don't know about you. What I do know is in the days of Martin Luther, most people in his day were riddled with a consciousness of their sin and a sense of guilt. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have those feelings in the same way now. If you're a Christian now, uh, today, you would have heard and understood something of the grace of God, that the fact that God has accepted you regardless, that he has loved you regardless. But in those days, nearly every person who was religious had a conscious sin, sense of their sin and their guilt, and the way they were coming to God was not setting them free. They didn't have that sense of freedom. They also had a very strong fear of death. Now, why would they have such a strong fear of death? Death for them, was it was around them all the time. But because of medical advancements and various things, many people now don't die who 500 years ago would have died. I would have died as a baby. I had severe asthma from the age of about two years old, three years old. I would have died as a baby if it were not for medical science. And maybe here, some of you go, oh, actually, if I think back, maybe my mum would have died in childbirth. Something would have happened to me. In those days, there was a great sense of the fear of death because death was all around them. It's not all around us in the same way. So they have a sense of the fear of death. They have a sense of their guilt in terms of sin. They think God is... Is a, is a judge who's up there looking down on them. They know nothing of the grace of God. They had a need. And Martin Luther, more than any, was conscious of his own sin. He was conscious of his own guilt. He was aware that he was completely unable to free himself from either guilt or consequence, though he tried. And sometimes we want to set ourselves free. We try to set ourselves free from this, from this sense of guilt that I have in my own heart. And there was a moment where he began, if you like, where there was revelation that actually it's not something I can do. It's not something that I can achieve on my own. It's something that Jesus has done. And then there was this sense of uh, not only was Jesus' work a complete work, it saved us completely, not only did it recognize our need, there was this idea that it was once and for all that I didn't need to, I didn't need to approach Jesus time and time and time again, that actually his act on the cross was a once and all forgiveness for sin. Again, 500 years ago, where they didn't have that concept, they used to do penance. And penance was this idea of punishing yourself as an outward expression of your repentance for your wrongdoing, that you would be forever punishing yourself. You would make sacrifices for yourself in order that you might be able to feel better about yourself. But it didn't bring better feelings. It didn't bring peace. Luther's revelation involved realizing that Jesus had paid the penalty and taken the punishment for sin on the cross. And once he realized those revelations, 
he talks about his heart being set free. And that's what many of us know. We know that sense of freedom in our hearts. You see, the way of salvation for us today is more than just human rights, freedom, new start, a better life, equality, justice. Those things are laudable and good, but salvation is about death to life. It's about going from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. It's about recognizing that Jesus is the key to me coming into a relationship with my heavenly father. Being born again by the spirit of God and having my sins forgiven. We need to remember what it's taken for us to be saved in order that we can bring others to that same salvation. When Junior prayed, and if you notice when Junior prays, he prays, he prays for two things. He, he, he thanks God for what he's done for him and he prays that others might know the same. He prays that every week. It's, it's so encouraging. I thank you, God, for what you've done for me, and I pray that others might come into this knowledge. Not that others might come into part knowledge, a level of understanding, but that they might come to this knowledge that, Jesus, you are the one. You're the one who's won my heart. You're the one who's drawn me. I remember, uh, just as a child, when I... Uh, first gave my life to Jesus. I remember doing that. I, I can't remember how old I was. I was quite young. I, I was at a meeting and a guy preached the gospel and, and I didn't do anything at the meeting, but I went home and I got on my knees and I prayed. I prayed a prayer and I, uh, I, I don't know how I was, nine, ten maybe. And I prayed a prayer that Jesus would come into my life. I didn't quite know what that meant. Uh, and really, I just lived my life the next few years. And by the time I got to 16, 17, I had an encounter with God at a week away, a bit like New Day. And I changed. I changed. And I realized that I couldn't do it. It wasn't about my efforts. We need to learn, all of us, or some of us, that it's repentance over penance that counts. Without realizing it, some of us can slip into penance. We can slip into that mode of thinking where we are trying to uh, prove ourselves to God. We're trying to make ourselves better. We're trying to receive his forgiveness through our acts. We, sometimes we do it so subconsciously we don't even realize we're doing it. We get disappointed when we fail. Sometimes that disappointment, you need, to, you need to fight that with truth. Actually, I, I need not be disappointed when I fail because actually I'm, I've been forgiven. You must understand you're forgiven. You've been set free. So when you fail, it's not a case of going, oh my goodness, I banged my head, I wish I didn't do that. I'm trying to be better. This is what they were doing 500 years ago. But there is a danger that this is what we do today. Oh, I wish I could be better. Actually, it's not about being better. Yeah? When you realize that Christianity is not about being better, it really sets you free. When you realize it's not about your performance, it's not about how well you do, it's not about whether or not you manage to make the grade and, oh, I haven't stopped these things, and I'm still doing these things, and, oh, I only wish I wish. 
We can live like that. Yet the truth is that Jesus has paid for our sin completely. He has paid for it completely. That repentance is what we need, not penance. Repentance is acknowledging the fact that you have sinned and look to him for, for your forgiveness. It's not trying to buy it. You cannot buy forgiveness from God. You cannot earn forgiveness from God. You can only receive forgiveness from God through Jesus. And it's Christ alone. And, and it's important that we remember it is through Christ alone that I get it. I don't get it through any other thing. I don't get it by coming to church. I, I don't get it by reading my Bible. I don't get it by beginning to hang around with good people. I get it by coming to Jesus, repentant of my sin. That's how I receive forgiveness. And when I receive that forgiveness, there is peace, or there ought to be peace in your heart. So if you're a Christian and you still feel that you're striving to do the right thing, to be godly, to, to kind of live God's way, if, if, if that is your mentality, then you need to come even in a moment and say, actually, Jesus, I, I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to stop trying and I'm going to trust in the truth that it's, that, it, that it's because of Jesus that I have that sense of freedom and forgiveness. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with me. It's like uh, we were watching a film yesterday or, or a program. Pauline was watching a program about, about uh, Princess Diana and it's not so much about her that, that, that I was thinking about, but you think about Prince William. He's inherited royalty because he was born the son of a king or, 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 the, 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 granddaughter of a, or the grandson of a queen. He hasn't inherited royalty because of his efforts. He, he's not worked himself to royalty. He's not bought royalty. He's just inherited it. Now, once you've inherited it, live royal. Live royal. But you're not royal because of what you've done. And it's the same for us. I am not Christian because of my efforts. Because it turns out I'm the best kid in my class. It turns out that I was just a really good guy. Yeah? Because none of those things are true. Yeah? The reason I'm a Christian is because I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ. And for many of us, Though we can kind of know that in our heads because we be Christian, we don't really know that in our experience. Because the kind of the first thing that you do almost when you want to try and say thank you to someone for being so gracious to you, if you think someone's done a good thing to you, someone gives you money, you want to do something back, don't you? Someone invites you for a meal, you want to invite them back. Someone gives you a present, you want to give them a present. When it comes to God, we, we can't do any of the giving back. Not to be saved. And I would love it that all of us in here who be Christian, or if you're not Christian, that you understood this one thing. In order to be Christian, I need to accept Jesus. And I come to him through repentance. And, and that's how you do it. 
you, you don't come to him by coming to church. Church might be the way that you get introduced to Jesus. Food bank might be the way you get introduced to Jesus. Youth might be the way you get introduced to Jesus. But in the end, you must be introduced to Jesus. If you do not find Jesus, then, then you've just found like a community or you've found something. But inside, you do not have that sense of freedom and peace. Because salvation does what? It brings you peace with God. It also takes away the fear of death because you're no longer living with the potential consequences of your sin because Jesus paid for those. Jesus paid for those. It should lead us to freedom. If it doesn't lead to freedom... It often leads to works or effort, and that leads us to bondage. If we haven't got that, if we haven't got that truth, that what Jesus did was enough, Christ alone, if we haven't got that, what we will naturally do is walk in works, and it leads to bondage. Because you're forever trying to perform. You're forever trying to do the right thing, to do the best thing. I'm sure when Prince William was five, he threw things at Harry's head. That and, that, and, and I'm sure maybe his dad said to him, that's not, the, that's not the, the actions of a future king. I'm sure all of that, but he was still a future king. His identity didn't change. And our identity mustn't change. It's repentance over penance. The other thing that's quite amazing about the Reformation is, is to recognize that the church is always reforming itself. This is why we're here. This is why a church like Beacon exists and, and hundreds of churches around this nation like Beacon exist because the church is always reforming. The Reformation wasn't like a, a once-in-a-lifetime act. We're always having to reform we're always having to, to rethink. We're always rediscovering truth. Now, at one level, some people think, oh, that, that sounds a bit heretical. But actually, it's true. We're always rediscovering truth. There was truths there that they didn't understand. And actually, some of those same truths we have, but we don't understand. Some of the other things that we have inherited because of the, the Reformation, the fact that we worship in the way that we do. Worship used to be something that was done to people. People didn't participate in worship. They watched worship. Luther and others didn't struggle with anything different to what we struggle with. What he discovered was for salvation, it was about Jesus. And that's the point this morning. Salvation is about Jesus. And some of us need to just be realigned to that because we know that for us, salvation has been about Jesus and our efforts. Some of us need to be honest with ourselves. That's where we are. It's Jesus and my efforts. And if I do all the right things in a week, I have a good week. If I don't do all the right things in a week, then I feel like I've had a bad week. Yeah? And Jesus doesn't judge you according to how you feel about your week. He judges you, God judges you according to whether you're found in Jesus. And you can find yourself in Jesus. 
it's not actually that difficult to find yourself in Jesus. I'd like Sarah and uh, Emma to come up. We're going to sing a song. But I want to ask just two questions as we do that to respond. The first question is this. Have I settled for less than what God has for me in Jesus? Have I settled for less? Do I, do I live with the reality of, of, of uh, things in my life? Have I just settled for, well, I go to church, I, I kind of have friends there, and, and that's it? Or have I found the peace and the freedom that is on offer in Jesus? And then the second question, am I still, am I still trying to pay for my sins? Are you still trying to pay for your sins? Are you still trying to do things in addition to what Jesus has done in order to feel better about being a Christian? Because do you know what? Today, that can stop. You don't need to do things in order to pay for your sins because Jesus paid for your sins. The passage tells us this. Let me just go back to that passage. He is able to save completely completely he is able to save completely those who come to god through him why because he always lives to intercede for them so jesus died he rose again he sits at the right hand of the father in heaven and one of the things that he does is he prays for you and for me he's always praying for you and for me he's alive and he's praying he is a high priest who meets our needs. God's demands are for a holy, blameless, pure saviour. And Jesus was that. And when he died, when he sacrificed his own life, when he offered up himself, it was a once for all sacrifice. Is that what you're standing on? Because if that's what you're standing on, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're standing on that truth. Hallelujah. Because you know the grace of God. You know the love of God. You know the freedom that God brings. But if that's not what you're standing on, then this morning there might be a moment where you just want to go, Jesus, I want it to be about you alone. I, I, I want to just bring my stuff, my efforts, and I just want to lay them at your feet because I recognize I can't do anything to bring salvation to myself. I can't please you by being good. I please you by repenting and believing and trusting. Let's stand together. So I'm just going to pray and... Uh, Maybe if this, if this prayer concurs with you and you want to respond, you might just want to lift your hands where you are. Then we're going to sing. And, and once we've sung, if you want to 
at the end respond. I'll just be sitting down here. You can come and I'm happy to talk to you, pray for you, or John will be here, or Pauline at the end. Uh, because I really, I want you to get this. However this morning has gone or this talk has gone, I, I do want you to come to that place where you're resting on Jesus alone, Christ alone, Christ alone. Father God, we, we come to you. I come to you this morning. I recognize that there are times when in my own efforts, I try to win your favor. I try to, I try to please you through the things that I do. I try to make my life better by my efforts. And sometimes when I, when I do wrong, I, I do it all the more. Almost as if I'm trying to pay back for the things that I've done wrong. Yet this morning, Lord, I want to accept that you, Jesus, save completely. You do not require my efforts. You do not require my works. You do not require me to try and have a positive attitude. You just require me to, to come to you, to repent of my sin, to turn from my old way into a new way in Jesus. That your word says that my life can be hidden in Christ, in God. And this morning, Jesus, I want to hide myself in you. I want to recognize that without you, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. So would you come to me in this moment? Jesus, come to me. Open my heart to you. Fill me with your love. If there's anything I need to sort, then I bring it to you. Father, I pray for, for us as a group. I, I pray that there will be in some of us a shift in our hearts to recognizing that it's Christ alone by which I'm saved. We ask these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. As I say, we're going to sing together. And at the end, uh, when we finish singing, if you want to uh, talk. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.